0: Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, the podcast that is all about audio, sound and the brilliant people who make it. Being able to work out what content or music or voice really works for an audience is a key attribute shared by all the great producers I've ever worked with across everything from individuals producing daily breakfast shows to people in production booths making ads that get played on podcasts and on the radio. And for the most part, it all comes down to experience. It all comes down to the producer's gut feeling on a piece of content. But it doesn't have to be just that. Increasingly, technology is being employed to help not only advertisers make informed decisions about the sound of their promotional assets, but also in helping those at the sharp end of content production work out what works and what doesn't. On this podcast, I'm speaking to Damien Scrag from Veritonic, a company who helped publishers and creators judge the impact a piece of audio will have on a desired audience before it even goes to market. Damien talks about exactly how they do that, where it's worked in the past and how the techniques involved both AI and human powered are now being deployed to help make decisions around content as well as advertising. Damien also talks about audio attribution and how advertising performance can be tracked for effectiveness across multiple apps and hosting platforms and different listening devices. It's an area that before I did this interview, I knew so little about. But it seems to me it's a really exciting area, not just in terms of creating audio assets for promotional purposes that really work, but also in having more than just your gut to go on when making content decisions. So let's find out exactly how we work out what works with Damien Scrag from Veritonic. Damien Scrag from Veritonic, how are you and where are you?
1: I am very well, thank you. And I am in a lovely little town called Chorley Wood in Hertfordshire, currently sat in the kids' playroom because they get (laughs) the best connection.
0: That's a true image of working from home, of new normal, isn't it, that? Sitting in a playroom surrounded by toys trying to get a bit of work done. Thank you for talking to us today on Sound Business. We're going to talk about the work of Veritonic and working out what works. So how data and analytics can help us work out actually what content or what production has the best impact on audiences, which is something now as a producer of content for the last... 25 years or so, it kind of makes me feel a little bit funny. It makes me shiver a little bit. The idea that technology can help me do what my gut should be doing. And I think a lot of people will feel the same as I do. So it'll be interesting to dig a little bit more into this and how technology can help producers make calls that are driven by more than just gut or more than just trusting your ears. I think a interesting place to start here would be to talk more about Veritonic and kind of give an overview of the work that you guys do and the layer of technology and analytics that goes into helping people make those decisions and those processes.
1: Yep that sounds great and um I think you you touched upon some really key stuff there you know about you know producers relying on their gut and you know going with what you you know to instinctively be the right thing for you know whether it's music or a sonic brand or an audio campaign instinctively knowing what should work and I think that that's where this stuff gets really interesting because audio particularly I mean as as you know Jim is so subjective you know we could have a conversation and we could argue all day long between us about whether the Beatles or the Rolling Stones were the best and neither of would be wrong, but we could arguably have two very strong opinions about it. And I think when you look at audio marketing as a whole over the years, compared to just other forms of marketing, it is that kind of independent data layer, if you like, that enables brands and, and, and other people involved in the production of audio just to step away a little bit from the subjectivity and use data to make decisions. You know, if you think of any brand, everything they do, the, the colors, the, the visuals, the, the video, the, the celebrities they use, all of that stuff is done with an immense amount of, of research. And in audio, that's been lacking. So that, that's that's where we come in is we provide this comprehensive, if you like, suite or platform of tools which enable our clients to do audio research, to, to do analytics, to, to test and to measure the impact of audio, both before they launch in market, whilst the, an asset's in market. And also post campaign. So just looking at the, the effectiveness so that a client can make a, a, a confident decision on their audio investment by using this kind of independent data layer. And, and obviously we'll dig into that. But the good news is, Jim, we're, we're not trying to replace people <laughs> with technology, which we'll talk about.
0: So let's talk about those three different elements, the pre, the during and the post, if that's okay. And if we look at it from, we're going to talk more about the kind of content side of things in a little bit. But if we look at the traditional focus of Veritonics work in terms of the audio advert, I guess, and how we get the messaging right there, what do those processes look like? If I came to you with my brand new shiny product and said, right, I want to make sure I'm delivering this message well. I want to make sure my audio ad is working. What kind of questions are you asking me? What kind of processes are we going through before anything even gets committed to paper?
1: Yeah, so I think um, one of the key distinctions to make about what we do at Veritonic is that we're not involved in, in any of the production at all. We're all about the measurement measurement, and the effectiveness of the audio assets once they've been produced. So when a client will come to us, whether that client is a brand or an agency or an audio platform, they'll often come to us with a, a selection of, of ads or music or voices or whatever it is they're looking to mm. test. And those would have been produced by their, their creatives or their creative creative agency based on the, the brief you know how do they want their brand to come across what are the objectives of the the campaign what kind of impact are they expecting to have on the key target audience and then what our platform enables them to do is actually test those different assets using a combination of, of technology and and human research and it's funny how i always stress human but because we're talking about technology it's also good to stress that the human element as well mm. but what we're able to do is is ask the um, a, a group of people that look like the target audience to listen to those assets and actually answer a few there's sometimes there's some standard research questions around preferences and brands and things like that beforehand but listen to the assets score the asset as they're listening to it and then answer some questions post exposure to the ad as well to really get a feel so okay how do the target audience feel about this which of the key emotions does it hit is it memorable does it increase their likelihood to want to purchase the brand so then you've got this set of assets that you've you've tested and you're in a much better position to rank them from top to bottom based on which ones most closely match the, the objective and the personality of the brand, based on what people have said, enhance with the with the technology that we have built into the platform as well. So you can, as the brand yourself or as the the creator of the asset, can go to the brand team um, at the client and, and, and say, listen, here are the assets we've produced. We think they're all f- fantastic because we're the experts in producing sound. So, so we know that they're good. However... Mm. We've overlaid this independent layer of data on top, and this is how they now rank based on their ability to to match the brief that you've, you've set for us. And, and it just gives the client that confidence of, okay, I like asset, for example, number two. However, asset number one, I quite like, and the data has told me that asset number one is the best one. So let's trust the data and go with that and and roll it into market with that kind of confidence that it's it's pre-optimized.
0: Now, the human element of that makes perfect sense to me, and I can quite easily grasp that. It's kind of along the lines of, I guess the example I'd go to would be the reason that Amazon Alexa has a female voice is because most people find female voices more trusting than men. So they went with the female voice for that. That kind of makes sense. You go with what people relate to and what people connect to. What's the technological element that comes in there? Because you said half of it's human research, and it's this panel, and half of it's technology. So what is the technology influencing?
1: So what we've been, we've been doing this for seven years now. So what we're, what we've been able to do over that time, we've tested, I'm not even going to try and come up with a number, thousands and thousands and thousands of of assets via human panel testing, all different types of, of audio assets. So as I mentioned earlier, it could be sonic logos, audio ads, music, soundscapes, different voices. And we've collected human responses to how they feel about those types of assets. And if you imagine with, tens and tens of thousands of assets, we've in effect collected what is probably millions of data points on those assets. That's enabled us, because we've got such a wealth of data now, to build that into a predictive engine, in effect. Right. And what that predictive engine is able to do is to listen to any form of audio asset and make High-level predictions on how that asset is likely to perform in market. Like, is it likely to be more memorable, increase purchase intent, be more engaging? Which of these key emotions is it likely to to hit higher against? And that's based purely on the acoustic elements of what's in that particular asset, based on human feedback. And what we continue to do is every every test we do, human panel test we continue to do. That data is continually fed back into into the algorithms to enhance and make those even stronger. And in effect, what that enables clients to do, because the predictive en- engine is, um, is is instant for any audio asset we put into the platform, what a client's able to do is very quickly narrow down a large list of assets or rank a large list of assets to make some determination. So it, it you know a couple of use cases amongst many, but perhaps an agency develops ten assets to start with, and maybe the predictive enables them to cut that down to five for final presentation to mm. to the client before going into panel testing, or maybe whilst a client is developing the the audio asset they can continually because it's instant you know it's going to take a few seconds load it to the platform get some scores back just to make sure they're on brief to make sure they're on point and to make sure that what they're feeling as you mentioned the gut feel what they're feeling about how this particular asset is going to come across to people just a quick sense check to see does the data back that up to make sure we're kind of on the right path so we can combine that the human nature plus the predictive scoring to come up with a very robust scoring methodology to to put back into the report for clients to make their decisions on.
0: So you say this analytical tool is instant. It can analyse and kind of churn out its prediction of how those assets are going to perform. Does that mean there is a database that shows trends and shows potential impact? So there is potentially something that could be tapped into before any decisions are made. Say I've got a product that it's a, a new wine that I want to advertise to 45-year-old men. Would you be able to offer me generalities that would be true to appeal to that audience if I was constructing an advert?
1: Yeah, it it starts going towards that. So the couple of things that that fit into that, because of all the data we've collected against certain key categories, we have benchmarks, first of all. So even on the predictive level, you're able to listen to it. and, And we will give every asset we score what we call the Veritonic Audio score, which is our kind of amalgamation of all the data around intent and memorability and emotions and, and recall. And it's it's our benchmark, our scoring mechanism to enable us to rank assets in a test or in the Veritonic database or in a client's database to compare them against one another. And that's enabled us to create category-based benchmarks. So one of the things you're able to do um, immediately is say, okay, this asset gets a score of 56. I mean, the score for the purposes of this doesn't uh, doesn't really mm, matter what that yeah. means. but you can quickly compare that to benchmark is, OK, so for other assets in similar categories, does that score on or above benchmark? Because that's obviously what you're looking to do. You don't want to be putting out an asset that is under the benchmark for that typical category. So but that's one thing that you can do the, to get into the specific demographics, you know, the, whatever the target audience might be for that wine, you know, the demographics, the income, gender, age and all that kind of thing. That's where you get into that detail through the, the, the panel testing. The other element that we have, which enables clients to make determinations about what, for want of a better expression, what is a good versus a bad ad, is is our database of competitive intelligence, where we've built a database of all of the audio assets in the market on, on podcast and, and streaming platforms, where we've been able to, to pull those assets into, the, into our database, score them against our, as I mentioned, the, the proprietary scoring algorithm that we've got and that enables our clients to to see what else is happening in the market you know who's advertising where are they advertising hearing a copy of the ad seeing how those ads sound and score using the ben, the Veritonic scoring methodology and and using that as a start of comparison so okay my competitors are doing this they're advertising here this is the messaging they're going with this is the kind of the tone they're going with so when i go out into market or start developing creative what am i going to do am i looking to mimic what they're doing, and advertise in similar places so that mm. I'm there as a competitor? Am I looking to find a gap in the trend? You know, if I'm, I don't know, you mentioned, I think you used a wine company as, a, as an example. You know, are all my customers pushing their, their white wine and their sparkling wine and rosé wine because we're moving into summer? Well, do you know what? I'm going to push my lighter red wine that I think you, that you can chill and drink in the summer months and I'm not going to advertise where everyone else is. I'm going to find that competitive, those gaps where the competitors aren't and I'm going to start advertising on those podcasts and those mm. streams that they are not. So you you start pulling all that data together before you even develop a creative. You're developing, rather than doing it in isolation, you're developing it with, with a view on what's happening in the market, what the client brief is, what are we looking to achieve as a brand and with this campaign and then feeding that into the the production of the asset before before anything even begins
0: It,
1: it sounds like what you're
0: doing here is i mean any kind of human testing any kind of audience reaction research is going to have an element of subjectivity to it it has to but it sounds what you're doing here is you're taking that audience testing and layering data and research on top of that to reduce the chance it is subjective is that kind of a fair summary of where you're at and what you're hoping to achieve yeah, I, I, th- I think that's part of it.
1: I, I, I think definitely we're not trying to remove subjectivity completely because that's important, right? Because there's no brand in the world that goes out to, you know, age zero to 100, male, female, you know, salary zero to a million dollars. You know, do you know what I mean? Nobody goes out truly to a, a, a full gem pop audience. So you can never fully remove that subjectivity because of human preference and the way people are just in general in life. But what we're looking to do is, is say, for example, you know, if you think about the marketing team or the brand team or the, the chief marketing officer, a, a brand, you know, that's going to be a full makeup of, of different people who obviously love their brand. They're, they're very into it. You know, they, they want the best for that brand. But that group is, is almost definitely not going to be made up of just target audience for that group. So there's always a danger with this is that, you know, the ultimate decision maker maybe is the brand director or the chief marketing officer. And that person may just have a very strong preference. They know their brand inside out. I like this one. I'm going with this one. Therefore, we're going to go with that. That's the kind of subjectivity we're trying to remove is to actually give that team and that that ultimate decision maker at the brand the data to kind of step back a bit and say, okay, I do prefer that. I do know my brand inside out. However, I need to listen to the audience because research isn't new. We've not invented research. What we're trying to do is is, is focus it much, much more on audio. Audio is becoming so much more important just with the explosion of everything around podcasting and smart speakers and streaming in general and the younger generations going to audio first platforms it's just becoming more and more important and so we're trying to just give brands that ability to make decisions that they've been doing elsewhere for for audio so what we what we'll do within the testing is is we can you can test different target audiences because you're right the beauty is the predictive algorithm there's no human emotion involved in that it listens to the acoustic elements it's listening to the tones the peaks the troughs the instrument instrumentation and it's making determinations based on those patterns and things that we've seen in the past the human panel is very definitely got Human bias, you know, this person's going to like that, that person's not. So, depending on what we're trying to do with the testing, we can test different demographic groups, you know, test the the demographic group that the brand's trying to hit, but test other groups of people to see does our demographic group love it and does the other group hate it? If that's what happens, great, because we don't care if those people hate it because they're not going to buy our product anyway. And, And we can ask preference questions, you know, what brand of car do you drive? What mobile phone do you have? What brand of crisps do you eat? What, go back to your example, what wine do you drink you know so we we can look at the variations in the different groups to give a fully rounded and in-depth picture similarly the brand might just want to test we just want to test our target audience and our customers because it's very niche they love us and if they love us we don't care about what everybody else thinks because we've got this very very almost like a cult following and and they're the people we want to target so we we can we can add and remove bias as we need to based on whatever the client's objective is so it's not a it's not a kind of it's not a cookie cutter one stop this is how we do it the end it's what are you looking to achieve from this campaign this creative this sonic brand this voice whatever it might be and let's make sure we're testing in a way that gets the balanced picture that you know that's going to give you that objective layer of data
0: it's interesting you mentioned crisps because i want to for want of a better phrase dig into some crisps now with a real life example of some of your work with the doritos brand and frito lay as well who wanted to create a sonic identity for the doritos brand before you talk us through exactly what your role was in the creation of this let's hear exactly how that brand sounds
2: the new doritos sonic identity
0: let's do this
2: When our fans started spending more time on audio-first platforms, where they literally can't see our branding... Oh, sorry. I think you're muted. Muted? You're muted. They inspired us to get on another level. We needed an audio signature that was as memorable and iconic as the Doritos triangle and the Spark logo itself. So, we tapped into our unique place and culture and the multi sensory experience of meeting Doritos. Smack me with the Doritos. Well, wait... Isn't that a tagline? Play that again. Respect the Doritos. Nah, nah, that's no tagline. It's an attention-grabbing, expectation-defying, shape-shifting sonic identity. And they're measurably proven to increase consumer ad recall, brand attribution, and appeal. First up, a soundscape to capture the consumer journey. Mmm, mmm. And our impactful audio signature, the Doritos Secrets. They're just Doritos. Here's why it just hits better. They're bold, fun, and unexpected. Like our brand personality. They're instantly recognizable. Like a producer tag. You know what I mean. Made music, made it. Pass me the Doritos. The new sonic identity for Doritos. Built for every sound on environment. Creatively flexible to fit every message this it, is solid branding on another level
0: sounds almost as good as doritos taste smack me with the doritos so how did you guys at veritonic help doritos
1: craft their sonic identity here that's a good question and it was a really interesting project so i, I think just to clarify so nobody tells me off so obviously we <laughs> we were involved in the testing of it they yeah. they worked with uh made music studio who, who did the development of the brilliant logos and and, and and soundscapes that we hear from Doritos now but if you think about Doritos as a brand it's bold isn't it it's bold it's young it's fun they consider themselves disruptive I mean if you think you know the colors the, the packaging is bright there's one scene on one of their ads I remember seeing at one point there's a guy that's been eating either the chili or the cheese crisp and he wipes his hand across his white t-shirt and leaves finger stains across his t-shirt I mean so the colors are bold you know everything about it the crisp you know the crunch is, is allowed crisp so the they want to make sure that they, you know, they stand out. They want to be memorable. They consider themselves a disruptive brand within that. They've got a, a target audience of 18 to 24 year olds, and I guess for them, what they were seeing is that that age group was starting to go more and more to audio-first platforms, and so they they needed to figure out how they transform that kind of very strong visual and flavor and and that crunch brand from visual into an audio experience that's just as memorable just as strong and bold and, and disruptive so the, the the brief itself they they will have gone to made music and said listen we want to do this we need to create a soundscape an audio logo a sonic branding experience to engage our consumers got to be bold got to be disruptive it's got to be as, as strong as as Doritos is and and so what happened is is much like we've talked about in the sense that made music came up with various different versions of the soundscapes and the logos, and then ran them through the Veritonic platform, testing that key target audience uh, mm. of the 18 to 24 year old, and looking for which of these versions is memorable, which of them is is disruptive, you know, how appealing are they to our target audience? So we we, we did just that. And, and the things that came out, which enabled them to make the final decision is that of their target audience, these 18 to 24 year olds, 70% of them agreed that the the ultimately the winning logo was disruptive. It was different. It was it was bold. It was fun. It was, I guess, classic Doritos. And 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 on top of that, it was it was memorable. There was a 23% higher recall above the the benchmark for for that category. So immediately, they've got their they're two key measures, the recall and the disruptive nature. And there was a 12% increase in appeal from people that had, had heard that logo. And, and as you just heard from what you just played, there's that kind of whip crunch, as they call it, kind of sound. Mm. It says, like, you know, smack me with the Doritos. I mean, that brilliant. I have to admit, when I first heard it, I was like, whoa, that, that is... And then I realized I'm far too old to be in the target audience, but <laughs> it's so memorable. It was, I, I was playing it at one point when they they first launched it, and my six-year-old was in the room. He heard it. And unfortunately, every now and then he'll come up to me and he'll whisper in my ear, smack me with the Doritos, which is probably then often. But it's great. It it is memorable. And so that's it. That's that's where we got involved. So, you know, brief from the Frito-Lay team to to Made Music, they create the different variations. Then we test to see which of these these logos most closely matches the brief so that they can make the decision of what to go to market with.
0: You mentioned there you were slightly taken back by maybe the results that you found on this campaign. Is that? often the case do you see results coming in from either your human testing or from your technology a- analytics that kind of lead you to go oh well that's not what we expected but that's where the numbers are so that's what we go with
1: i think in this instance the the one thing that really jumped out for me is that 70 percent of the you know the target audience found it to be they considered it to be disruptive we we see a full range of scores when we're doing our testing but that just felt like a a big number of people mm. to say wow and that you know that means that it, you you you're never going to get 100% you know in anything in life right you never quite get 100% but 70% that's a big number to say okay that's right you know made music if fit the brief this is this is a disruptive a disruptive logo so in, in that instance yeah that that was it, it did what it needs to do there have definitely been times uh, not in this particular test where you do see results and you're you know you you look at them and say wow I I didn't necessarily expect that. But then you have to take into consideration your own preferences. You know, it might make, is it a brand that I'm not a fan of? So therefore, I don't hear the ad in the same way. And, or maybe I'm not the right target audience for it. So, you know, we, from a personal perspective, when when I see some of the results from some of our client testing, you kind of always have to step back. And that's really where it is useful for, for the brand teams to make a decision. Because as I say, you know, the people making the ultimate decision may not be They're the expert on the brand they may not necessarily be the the target audience so although their ears are finely attuned to what's going to work for their customers uh, in terms of audio that additional layer of data may enable them to make a different decision to to what they might have thought and there's definitely been times where you know an early version of of a logo or an ad or voice or whatever that that generally you felt oh this one's not going to do well actually scores well the brand go with it and It works really, really well because the data said, actually, do you know what? We may not have considered that one, but actually our audience love that. So let's go with the one that maybe felt a little bit left of center to start with.
0: You mentioned the KPIs that were set out at the beginning of the Doritos campaign that they wanted to find, they wanted to create something that sounded distinctive, How important is it to get those KPIs right at the very outset? Because I think anyone who's worked in selling radio advertising or selling audio advertising will know the pain of a client coming and saying, well, that advert was great, but it didn't sell us more X, Y, Z. Which obviously isn't always the end product you're going to get. Sometimes it's about awareness. Sometimes it's about brand identity. So how do you manage the expectations from day one? Do you work with the client in terms of setting out those KPIs and what they want to achieve from whatever their audio project is?
1: Yeah, it, it depends at what stage we're brought in. Because we, we work with a full range of, of clients from, from the brands themselves to their agencies to the audio platforms as well. So. We're brought in at various stages by clients, and and we always say the best time to bring us in is as early as possible in the process, Mm. ideally before you've started anything. Just so because obviously the pre-market testing and particularly the, if you like, the competitive and market intelligence, if that's done before anything's done, that can feed into those early stages of production. And and yeah, understanding what the client's really looking to achieve. What we don't want to be is is the kind of the, the static partner that we're given assets, test these, here's the brief pass the results back. We, we prefer to work in partnership. And that's why the, the Frito-Lay with Doritos and, and some of the other things we're doing and, and made music. That's why that works well, because we work in true partnership. So we understand what they're trying to achieve beforehand. We can advise them on, on how to test it, some of the, you know, the emotions and attributes and, and feelings they're looking to test. Because if you get all that right first, like you said, there's nothing worse than putting something into market costs a lot of money. It may be too late, you know, you don't want to have to re-record an ad or add a different piece of music on or, or change the voiceover mid-campaign because it's not working. Because the, you could get the target, you know, you could put the ad in the right place. It could be on the right podcast. It could be on the right radio show or stream or wherever it might be to the right target audience. But if the creative itself is not, not very good or not engaging for the audience, then that's going to massively impact its chance to to perform well. So getting all of that stuff right in advance is important. And we did do some work, and I'll keep this very high level, with a client many years ago who who had launched a a new audio logo into the market and gone through all of the the development and the launch phase, and it just didn't hit the right way with the target Mm. audience. So they had to pull it from market, and we hadn't been involved in that point. They they took a new creative agency on, and then that new agency bought Veritonic in. So the new agency in conjunction with us, they they redeveloped some asset, we did all the testing, and they put a newer updated logo into the market and, and that still continues today and by the way it's not a brand we've mentioned so far today but it, that still continues in the market today for that particular brand and and, and that just shows you know that there was a, a big spend and time and effort on the client's part to put something to the market that hadn't worked but they found out after the fact so it's just one example of getting it right first being um being key
0: It's an amazing level of insight that you can provide. And it's something that I must admit that previously, up until a few months ago, I didn't really have much awareness of. Now, what I think is really interesting is when we've talked before, you've mentioned how similar tools can be used when analyzing content so we've kind of boxed off the the sonic branding and the advertising and whatnot but actually the content that we get on tv radio podcasts can actually benefit from the same kind of analytics tools to enable the right decisions to be made
1: yeah absolutely it's it's interesting because we Always used to focus on solely when we first started, it was all about the adverts. You know, that was the obvious thing. You know, that was the big part of audio or, or just advertising in general. It was the the audio element, the music that was used. And so we very early on, we built the product um, and we focused on that sort of shorter form, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, whatever it might be, even shorter, two seconds for Sonic logos and things like that but really all we're doing is analyzing audio so over the last um, couple of years we've started to do more work with clients on analyzing the content of as you mentioned um, audiobooks podcasts and and more recently actually analyzing television news feeds as well and in each of those instances what we're doing we're still ingesting the audio in the same way that we do with the adverts we're able to transcribe it so we can actually not only hear but we can read what the content says but that can also be run through the predictive engine but also where necessary through human panel as well and asking people to and, and the platform and people to, to to score how they feel in terms of how engaging it is how certain emotions are being impacted and and from a content perspective that that enables certain things to happen you know we work particularly on branded podcasts where a brand may have done a a short first season and they want to understand okay which topics resonated well Maybe which host resonated well, which tone worked well, you know, was it the sort of the jokier episodes or was it the more serious episodes? So we can test that after the, the, the you know, a couple of episodes. So they, when they're developing further episodes or further seasons, they know, OK, tone, host, content, length. You know, if you get the tone right, the host right and, and the general content, you could probably go for a slightly longer podcast. So they, they can start using that analysis to make decisions on on what actually feeds into the podcast to make it more engaging, more effective, um, audiobooks are able to use the analysis to to highlight some of the key areas of the book to, that could be used as trailers or, or snippets that entice new listeners in to download a certain audiobook, rather than just the first minute or two of of the book. It's like actually, this is a very compelling segment of the book. This is very engaging. This one's highly emotional. You know, like a, a film trailer. If you you know, you well, don't, what's getting you looked for there? Set, because I mean, obviously, an audio
0: book is hours and hours of audio content. So, if we take it from a machine learning point of view and an analytics point of view from the technology side of things, what's it looking for? What's it kind of trying to draw out of that content to go? Well, this is exciting, or this is heart wrenching, or whatever it is the criteria that's been set.
1: And, and you kind of it's you kind of said it there, really, in that it, it's again, it's listening. So the the, the technology part is listening to. You know, the, the way the book is read and flows, you know, listen to the, the peaks in trough, let's say, of the narrator's voice when they're speaking faster with more energy, you know, when they're sort of speaking more softly, for example. I um, mean, it's, so it's it, much in the way it can listen to music and instrumentation. It listens for the flow, if you like, of, of the way the voice is running and the speed and the urgency and, you know, the excitement behind it. And can pull out key sections, and then you can start to to draw the the parallels between you know, incite, excitement and engagement. You know, the more in, the more excited, exciting something is, the more engaging it's likely to be, the more it's likely to hold a listener's attention. So you're you're getting those key snippets from from the audio book that are going to pull you in. And then similarly, when we take those sections of what you would never do, you, you couldn't panel test an audio book, obviously, because mm. if you're talking ten hours of a of a book. That's asking a lot of a, of a of a panelist to sit there for 10 hours and listen to a book and score it whilst they're doing it. But what we'll do is take those key chunks that the, the machine is able to find within the book and, and where needed, we can actually then test those through uh, in the same way those shorter chunks. So in effect, we, we create that shorter form content and ask people to react to it and, and, and we measure their engagement and their emotional reaction while they're listening it which just adds additional backup to what the the machine's starting to to find
0: and is there evidence to back up the fact that this works? Are you seeing increased listen throughs, increased click throughs because
1: of the decisions that are being made? Without, without giving too much away, I mean, the clients <laughs> we're doing this stuff for are still working with us, and so they're you know they're doing their own analysis to make sure that this stuff is is working in the right way. And and you know the companies we're working with—they're big companies, they're they're big multinational, well-known, global kind of powerhouse companies you know they're not going to they don't continue doing this stuff if their own analysis of what's working so if you know if more books aren't being downloaded if certain areas of you know if podcasts aren't being listened to they're not going to keep throwing money into into research and testing if it isn't working for them, obviously, some of the results they get, they don't necessarily share all of them with us apart from, yeah, this is doing what we need it to do. And more interestingly, on the um, analysis of, you know, if you like TV news content, we're seeing our clients on that side start to not just renew, but increase the number of, of programs and shows that they're they're using us for. So they're using us to, to make determinations about which of their TV news content is most Mm. compelling because often i think with the the tv broadcasters they they know where the viewership figures are going up and down during a given broadcast or given show but very often what they don't have is they don't know why that's happening you know what what was being discussed at that particular moment in time that made people switch channel or turn Mm. off so with our platform they're able to say okay they can go in and say right nine o'clock news last night 10 minutes and 15 seconds into the show we saw a, a drop off in viewership what happened so they put that in, it will immediately take them to that point of show in our platform and say, and they can see and hear what was happening at that time, see the transcription and actually say, OK, maybe the discussion had turned back to COVID. Everyone's fed up with COVID. People switch channel at that point. Let's make sure we develop our news content to make sure we're, we're focusing on the right topics at the right time to these audiences so we can keep our audiences engaged rather than putting out the content, which is asking people to or, or forcing people to, to change channel.
0: I can already hear the arguments here, Damien, because I think most people would agree agree the most exciting and the most creative content comes from the stuff at the edges that kind of pushes boundaries, whereas I guess what your tools do is it creates crowd pleasing content and if you're creating crowd pleasing content all the time you end up with 24 hours of Britain's Got Talent that's that's probably where you're looking so what is that the danger that you end up with a very middle-of-the-road homogenized generic product or is, is there is that where the humans come in is that where you have to kind of go right this is our baseline this is what we know works and we can push within these boundaries
1: Yeah, no, we're definitely not trying to create that homogenized universe, but it's having the data and knowing what's happening or why something's happening, you know, across the gamut of what we do. It's not trying to homogenize it and make it that kind of crowd pleasing stuff. But it depends on who you are, because if you're trying to produce middle of the road, crowd pleasing podcasts, then knowing that and creating more of that. You know, like like the programs you mentioned, Britain's Got Talent, you know, the the reality shows, uh, X Factor, things like that. That's designed to please a big, broad audience, Saturday night television viewers or whatever it might be. There's probably similar things within podcasts which just want a big, wide audience. And so it needs to be not edge cases. It needs to be that, OK, we need to keep more people happy. Whereas you focus that on something like I know the Joe Rogan show or mm. Joe Rogan experience. That's definitely not a homogenized crowd pleaser. That is on the edge. It's got some very, very... You know a lot of core followers who absolutely love it on the other end there's a huge number of people that don't enjoy it they don't like the content they don't like him they don't like the way certain topics are handled and and that's the human element so it really comes down to again what we're doing is whether it's an ad a voiceover a, a tv news analysis podcast audiobook analysis we're providing the data to say this is how people are reacting to it then you as the brand or the producer have the decision to make of are you trying to be a crowd pleaser. Do you want to create more content like this, which is going to engage people, but be more bland, or are you happy with it? Look at Doritos. You know their target audience is very definitely eighteen to twenty-four, and they want to be bold, they want to be disruptive. They're not worried whether if my mum or my or dad or my grandparents listen to it, if they listen to it, they're offended. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe a brand is saying smack me the Doritos. That doesn't matter because mm. it needs to appeal to that core group of enthusiasts that just absolutely love the brand for for everything it stands for and and one of the things we we're doing with our clients is continuing to analyze after the fact as well so doing that post campaign or post exposure research both from a brand lift and an, an attribution standpoint to make sure what's being put out into the market is working you know it is driving people to the website it is getting them to buy it is keeping the customers happy the the favorability and perception of the brands and everything else is is continuing to operate in the way it wants and that works for the homogenized, crowd-pleasing, broad-brush brands that appeal to a, a large swathe of audience. But also it's for those companies that we are an edgy brand. We are disruptive. We are very niche in our focus and we need to make sure on all levels. So it it really does depend, Jim. It, it comes down to giving the data to the p- people who are producing the content and, and the creatives and saying, here's the data. You need to stick to client brief and, and the client will decide how they want to do it. But no, I can think of nothing worse than a homogenized universe. So that'd be like an episode of Black Mirror where we're all <laughs> force fed, to happy, smiling, stuffed by machines. That's definitely not the aim.
0: Damien, it's been fascinating talking to you. I've got a million more questions, but sadly we're out of time. So thank you very much for your time on Sound Business. If anyone wants to find out more about Veratonic and the work you do, all the links, as always, are in the podcast description. And you can click through there and browse around the case studies and more information on the work via the website there. But Damien, thank you very much for your time on Sound Business. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jim. That's it for this podcast. As mentioned, all the links you need are in the podcast description as well as a way to get in contact with me if you want to suggest a guest or an episode of Sound Business for the future or you just want to say hello and thank you if you have already done so. There are plenty more fascinating guests who all love audio that are set to come on this podcast series in the coming weeks. So make sure you've hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening and I'll catch you on the next Sound Business If you want to find more about VoiceWorks, the work we do, or you want help with your audio strategy, then head to the website, voiceworks.ai.